Welcome to Board Women, a podcast that explores the world of women and confidence through the lens of board sports. This is about finding time for you and reconnecting with the joy and adventure in your life. I'm the founder, Caroline Keylock, and I'll be speaking to women in their 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond who are pushing the boundaries of what their bodies can achieve. We'll also feature confidence coaches who can help us break down our fears and perimenopause experts to dig into our changing bodies and minds. We've been told that being humble is the only key to success and I'm not sure that served everyone. I'm really excited to bring you my first guest of 2024. Stephanie Sword Williams is the founder of Fuck Being Humble, a global training consultancy that empowers individuals to be unapologetically proud of their achievements. I guess this is why I'm so proud of the name Fuck Being Humble, is that people take it on and use it as a prompt to other people when they're being too humble. I always wanted confidence experts to feature on the Bored Women podcast, and Stephanie was right at the top of my list. We even got her to get on a skateboard for the very first time. Welcome, Steph, to the Board Women podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So I should explain to the audience, we were actually introduced by a mutual friend, an infamous person called Mark Adams, who will recognise himself if he does listen to this. And what really struck me about Steph was she's got this unbelievably named business, which we'll talk about the origins of, but also really focuses on confidence, which just is crucial to the mission of Bored Women. So before we talk about your journey and how the business started and how that is growing, we asked you to try a board sport before you came on the show. So I know that you chose skateboarding because your partner is a skateboarder. So tell me how you found the experience. It's so funny because when we first connected, I, I came away and I was I was really inspired by what you're doing with bored women. And I, I really, you know, went home, spoke to my partner about it. And he very quickly said, yeah, I'll take you on the board and we'll have a go. <laughs> and it's funny because it's always been something I've seen as his thing because, you know, on a Saturday he goes to do it. He always feels amazing from doing it. And as someone who is just notoriously clumsy, um, (laughs) likely to trip up, like could, I think I went on a bike ride when I was younger and I crashed into a lamppost. So (laughs) it's not even moving things that I could find as an obstacle. It's actually very static things as well. I've always observed things. I'm actually a bit of a um, worrier in that way. I'm very, even on holiday, like I'm nervous about getting on jet skis because it's not covered on the insurance. (laughs) Just to give you some context, that's where I've come from. So uh, it was actually, we were both going towards Victoria Park and I think I was going for a walk and Tom, my partner, was actually going to skateboard. So he had his board with him and we hadn't even planned to do it that way, but we just ended up talking and then we were like, oh, I I need to practice the skateboarding. And so we did, which was hilarious. And Mm -hmm. I was actually really grateful to have him there because he's very calm, very approachable in the sense that like, doesn't make me feel overwhelmed. And I think one of the things that I, well, the two things that I enjoyed the most was, first of all, I was on the board absolutely not looking cool at all in the slightest and I don't even think I was dressed appropriately um but 
as I was like, you know, just about getting my balance and rolling, a woman walked past me and was like, you're doing really well. And I thought that was really sweet because it was a really like genuine interaction that she wanted to, she could see how obviously non-confident I was, but she wanted to cheer me on, which I thought was really sweet. And then I think the second thing was, was about taking it at my own pace. And I think for a lot of people, um, and this is not something I'm very good at either. Uh, you know, if I'm not amazing at something first time, I will give up, which is essentially probably why I'm not very risky in certain aspects of my life. But what we did when my partner Tom was helping me was actually, it was, you know, try it for a little bit and then get off and walk. And then I was walking for a little bit. And then I got back on the board because I was like, oh, I actually want to have another go. But what I found the most effective was actually saying, okay, I think I, I need to stop now because I, I don't want to go any further and knock my own confidence. Yeah. And then I came away really like, you know, happy and was like, yeah, I rolled for a little bit by myself. I pushed myself off the ground without needing, you know, somebody to support me. And I think that's something that we can all take as a learning of like, sometimes we either want to be great at something first time around that we push ourselves too far but also just knowing our own limits in a safety perspective I guess not in the sense that like oh you know it's not working get off the board I'm I'm going home but more in the sense of like I know myself and I know that if I go too far have an accident I'll use that as an excuse not yeah. to try this again so I thought there there were two really nice experiences. First of all, just that a random stranger as a woman wanted to congratulate me because she could see that it was quite a new experience. But secondly, that I took the time to go, no, I think I do need to get off now in order for me to not feel turned off to do it again. Absolutely. I think it shows how much your first experience of doing something is so key as well. Like you're so lucky having that person be really supportive because it does give you a little bit of bravery and a really proud feeling inside I think that I'm doing it I'm doing it I do not look cool but I am doing it and that is amazing and an achievement in itself yeah definitely and I I think it is that sitting with the uncomfortable isn't it I guess for me it was in a massive park nobody was around that I really knew and the only person was that was around was the person I kind of trust the most in the world so it was quite a nice experience of safety to not feel like I was too exposed That being said, I think there's also a really great benefit of doing it in groups as well, because I'm sure the cheering on of each other would really help. But I think for that that starting point, it was a really good process. I don't know if it's something that I would like persevere a long time, but I do want to try again. If there was ever an opportunity where it came up or there was a group activity around it, I would feel, you know, less likely to be like, absolutely no way I can't do it, which prior to our discussion and me even thinking about getting on a skateboard... I like wouldn't have even considered that. So let's talk about what you do day to day then and your brilliantly named business, Fuck Being Humble. How did it come about? And tell us a bit about what it is. Sure. So I set up Fuck Being Humble in 2018. I was working full time in advertising and I was working as an account and business director. So a lot of client management. I was looking at different ways to sell the company, to attract clients And it was through this experience that I learned a lot about selling and the difficulty behind promoting either yourself or the businesses that you work for. And I also really wanted to do more public speaking, to use my voice more. And I just was struggling to see how that was going to become an option for me in the workplace, given that there were other people that were more senior to me and were 
more likely to be invited to speak in the rooms that I wanted to speak in. So from a personal perspective, that's just a little bit of a background. And then I think from a wider perspective, I'd moved down from uh, Manchester, where I was living previously and coming to London, I was so inspired by all these amazing people that were running side hustles or new communities or new businesses. And then when I'd go to networking events, I just found myself like hearing the same voices, the same people on the same panels and not really getting to see these incredible people that I was meeting. So there was a combination of like these different emotions. And then the final aspect to it is that a lot of my friends used to come to me for career advice because I moved jobs regularly. I obviously could negotiate and pitch and sell. So it all became a, a little bit more um, normal to me and a little less intimidating and scary. So I had a lot of friends that would come to me for fr free career advice, shall we say. And so combining all of these experiences together, I was really keen to create a community where people could learn to self-promote and sell themselves and network and negotiate and all the things that we should have been told, but in a way that felt more relatable to them because I don't really feel the careers industry has been shaken up like forever. I can't remember the last impactful, disruptive message that was said in the career space. And so I really wanted to try and find a way to motivate, inspire and empower people, but talking to them on a level. So I originated the name Fuck Being Humble from my own lived experience of feeling overlooked at work or feeling like I just wish I could have been less modest in that situation or feeling like if only I'd have said that, I would have got that amount of money or I would have got that opportunity. So I landed on the name Fuck Being Humble and the goal really was just to host community events in London that would allow me to public speak, which is one of the things I really wanted to do. So deliver workshops and talks and help to share the knowledge that I'd grown in the advertising industry, but also to spotlight incredible people. So I would host panels with really inspiring talent and um, promote them to raise awareness of all the great work they were doing and also what other people could do. So that was really the main objective. And I definitely had no ambition that it would turn into a full-time business, but pretty much overnight sharing the name uh, it kind of went like LinkedIn viral so I had lots of messages I went on BBC World News there was a double page spread about fuck being humble in the times all of this momentum was building and I'd never even hosted an event yet like it was such a <laughs> quick response and I guess from that initial response I knew that there was clearly I'd hit on a nerve or, or an aspect that people wanted to explore. And then once I started hosting the community events, I could see just how much this message was needed, but also how much the learning was needed because there didn't seem to be a space that spoke to everyone in a relatable way that they could truly action. I think a lot of people come to our events and say, it's the most actionable advice I've ever had at an event. And I really, really, you know, I'm proud of that. I was approached to write a book. I didn't think I was a writer or good enough to write a book. So I said no. And then once I could see the response we were having with the events, I was more convinced than I thought this idea is bigger than just hosting events in London. And I would like to explore writing a book so that the message could reach people far and wide. So I did. And I wrote the book in eight months alongside my full-time job whilst running Foot Being Humble as a side hustle. 
I did that for two years, running it as a side hustle. And then in March 2020, I took the leap to run the business full time. And now you're running workshops for brands globally. You've done a TEDx talk, all sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my day to day now is split between hosting corporate talks internally at businesses. So that's my clients vary from Microsoft to Unilever, Apple, Adidas, Nike, um, working internally and and again just speaking to employees on a level and helping them to reach their career goals whilst working at the companies they work for i do a lot of brand partnerships where i collaborate on missions initiatives movements marketing campaigns to help bring them to life or to help support my own community and then i still continue to do the events with the general public to you know, just keep spreading the message and the movement far and wide. So at the heart of your business is confidence, which I guess is why we thought you'd be an amazing guest on the Boardrooming podcast. In your book, and just for anyone listening, the book's called Fuck Being Humble, Why Self-Promotion Isn't a Dirty Word. And in there, there was an amazing quote that really resonated with me. And it said, one of the hardest and saddest things I see is when women in particular have spent 20 years in their role and are still battling imposter syndrome. Somewhere along their journey, they were made to think they weren't worthy of their role or their place in the industry. But when you accept and take pride in what you do, you show other people that you do deserve to be there. And for me, that resonated both professionally, but also in the area that we're talking about around board sports, because I think there's so much of, do I deserve to be here? Can I be part of the community? Am I actually a skater, surfer, snowboarder? You know, am I worthy of that name, of that title? So can you tell me a little bit about the imposter syndrome side of what you do and what you've experienced with people that you've helped? Yeah, so I think that imposter syndrome can either be a side effect of somebody placing their negative thoughts on you or you holding negative thoughts about yourself in which as a result makes you feel a certain way about what you can and can't achieve. So my understanding of my experience so far is you either have received feedback or you've somebody along the way has made you feel not good enough or your own internal voice is sort of saying this to you, even despite all the incredible evidence that you have to prove it wrong. And I guess it's really changed my perspective of imposter syndrome over the years because I think... You know, I used to be like, oh, it's fine. You've got it. Just go for it. You've, you'll be fine. Just do it. You know, and it, it just be like almost like it's that easy. And I think because I've always been someone who is quite confident, I've always just been like, I, I just don't get it. And then the more that I've studied and observed people and the more that I've, yeah, just kind of listened to why people struggle, it can also be massively a systemic issue. And that's something that I think is really important to talk about when we're having these discussions is there's the internal critic, but there's also the external factors that mean we are held in situations or we're made to feel we're not good enough, that actually women aren't given the same opportunities and when they are in situations, they're not supported to thrive in the same way as men. And there's such a, there's so many different layers to it, but I think for most people, it's often they feel it when they are stepping out of their comfort zone. And there's lots of people who say it's actually important to feel imposter syndrome because 
if you didn't, you'd be going around the world feeling arrogant, <laughs> constantly <laughs> thinking you were amazing and never worrying about a single thing. And I quite like that reframing because it's quite a nice way to go, yeah, I guess the opposite is me thinking I'm going to smash every single thing that I do and never having a sense of awareness. And I often try and explain to people that when you have imposter syndrome, that's actually a level of emotional intelligence and awareness that you're considering other things and that you may not be the best person in the room to do this. Um, but that's surely better than assuming you're always the best person to be delivering this. So, you know, there's benefits and there's there's negatives to it. And I think what I would say is self-doubt is present amongst all of us at all times. And all we can do is our best to try and reduce that with either, you know, experience, with the support systems we have around us, and also just acknowledging that we all feel it. I think so often when people experience imposter syndrome, they feel like they're the only ones, when actually exactly to the relation to the topic we're talking about, board sport, I'm sure many people have a fear or a worry that if they do this sort of trick or if they go in a certain direction, they could fall. They they may not be the best at doing this. It's not you in isolation. It's a very general feeling that we all experience. And it's one that is often felt when we're taking ourselves into a new direction or to the next level. When I'm delivering my talks to events, I say how to manage imposter syndrome instead of stop it because I don't think we're ever going to stop it every time you try something new and abstract you're going to feel it and so I think it's more about managing when it managing it when it arises as opposed to blocking it altogether. I really like that reframe and I think it does make you accept that it's perhaps always going to be there and, and how do I get around it across it use it in some way why do you think, you know, despite the imposter syndrome, despite some of these areas of lacking confidence that women have as they get older for various different reasons, have you got any thoughts on why women are suddenly embracing these sports that perhaps inherently make us feel quite un uncomfortable and really dictate that we have imposter syndrome more than in most situations? Yeah, so I've actually been doing some research on a new project that I'm hoping to get commissioned around, you know, what happens when we go in a certain direction and it no longer serves us in our careers and what it's actually highlighting to me is just how many people get stuck in paths or situations that don't serve them and how many people are desperate for some type of disruption or challenge or thing that makes them feel more alive or more tested I think the monotonous lifestyles that we have or jobs or roles that we have can make us feel quite stagnant. And actually, there's something really exhilarating about trying something new and wanting to feel like you are experiencing something different. And I think that's something that is is happens as you get older, especially as maybe you become more comfortable with the things that you know you are good at and not good at. I think there is a a seeking of something different to feel something different. I think that's absolutely spot on, or at least in my personal case, that's exactly how it feels, just seeking that that energising activity that makes you feel alive, even when other things perhaps have got stayed, as you said. Let's talk a little bit about confidence and the self-doubt, because I think it's linked to imposter syndrome, but it's also perhaps a bit wider. You talk in your book about the importance of doing things like keeping track 
of your wins, of finding cheerleaders, of saying yes before you think you're ready. How do you feel some of those learnings might apply to the world of board sports? So I know from the story I told you earlier from me skateboarding with my partner, having him as a cheerleader made a huge amount of difference on whether I even got on the board, let alone continue to do it with any type of confidence. So I think I often say it's so important to find people who want to see you do well, who will pick you up when you need to need them, who will create that safety net or that cushion for you to fall onto. And that can be massive when you are doing something, especially something physical that is outside of your comfort zone. So I think having cheerleaders is massive. I think the reflecting on big and small wins is something I talk a lot about in your career, but also in your personal life. And I think if you were to each session that you did, whether it was skateboarding or snowboarding, to reflect on small or big wins, which could literally be like, well, at least I came out when it was raining and it was cold and I didn't feel like it, that's one tick. Or I got two yards further than I did last time. Or I continued to get back on the board even when I was my inner voice was telling me you shouldn't be doing this. So all of these things is all very transferable in terms of the need for us to self-reflect in order to build our confidence. So what I say often in my self-doubt sessions is like when we don't self-reflect, we don't give ourselves the credit we deserve. And the same goes, I imagine, in the sports space, particularly board sports, whereas if you don't reflect on all these little steps of progress you're making, you could very easily walk away and say, oh, it's, I should terribly stay. There's no point in me trying. Why am I doing this, right? And I think what we often look for are excuses to back out or reasons to back out. Whereas when we reflect on small steps of progress, what we're doing is holding ourselves in to that thing, that direction. It's holding ourselves connected to this idea or this goal that we're trying to work towards and it absolutely is a confidence building task so self-reflection is not just about oh I want to pat myself on the back and feel good about myself today it's actually something that will continually grow your confidence and help you to feel more likely to say yes to other things or other aspects in life that you may not usually do before and I guess, yeah, the saying yes before you think you're ready is really important as well, because I always say to people, you'll never feel ready. There is always, there will always be reasons why you shouldn't do a thing. And what's most important is, is starting and then figuring out as you go and you can always get better in a slightly different version. And I think it still applies to this. But when I talk to people about building their online channels, a website or anything, when I speak to perfectionists in particular, I say, get your it will do version ready. <laughs> so it doesn't need to be the best. It's never going to be the best because you're not actually the best in this thing right now. And you might not even have the skills to do this. So just get your it will do version ready. And I think you could apply that to board sports or any type of sports that you're trying for the first time or trying something new is like, what's the it will do outcome of this skateboard session? Okay, do you know what that will do today? If I just if I just rolled today, that will do um, because it's still getting you closer to that end goal. So I think there's something really nice about sort of lowering the expectations, saying yes before you're ready, but also documenting even the smallest steps of progress 
And actually one of the things that I found, I've interviewed like artists, models, movie stars, like TV show, actresses, like I've interviewed a lot of people. And one of the things that an actress said to me was, I always told myself that when I got to that big film, I would be really happy. But the truth was, it was all the small little jobs in between that I look back on and that I'm really proud of. And I think that's, that's true of so many things that we always are trying to reach that next moment instead of just being present and enjoying what you're doing in the, in that present minute. So I think that's something to hold on to when exploring these types of sports or spaces that feel new. It's like, just try and be as present as possible rather than thinking, I will never get to that point or why haven't I got to that point yet? That's absolutely true. I saw this statistic on your Instagram channel. I think it only came off about half an hour before the interview, actually, where you said that seven in 10 women would rather minimise their successes rather than tell people about them. And it really struck me because whenever you go and you do a meetup in surfing and skateboarding in any of it, when women meet each other for the first time, they immediately downplay how good they are to set expectations so they say you know I haven't actually been doing it that long you know I'm not really that good I'm still a total beginner and it's every single time without fail when you meet someone and I was just wondering about your thoughts on that and why do we do that because we're kind of almost diminishing our potential before we've even got there yeah it's painful it's painful as someone whose life's work is to not get people to do this to not minimize themselves (laughs) it is so hard to watch Uh, when women in particular do this it's actually really interesting after I shared that post I did a story asking people are you more likely to minimize yourself than celebrate yourself and uh, the results were 74% of women in my network were more likely to minimize themselves than not promote themselves and so I went on to ask a question to say why is that and so many of them is overthinking and worrying too much about what people think Mm -hmm. or fear of making a fool of myself and what others will say. Afraid of jealous people who might sabotage me. So there's some really interesting answers. And I think so much of it is around shame and fear of judgment. Again, I was reading a book recently and they were talking about the difference in the way that men look at themselves in the world versus women and men want to be someone in the world, whereas women very often want to serve in the world. And even just that slight difference in societal expectations or cultural norms affects how we present ourselves. So when I was writing my book, something that I discovered was something called the mama bear effect, where women are more likely to celebrate and uplift others than they are to celebrate themselves. And I immediately was like, well, yeah, I can resonate with that. Every woman can probably resonate with that. And I think in the example that you gave, I bet if you'd have said, "Who's, who's like great in here, they'd have all gone and said how great everyone else is. And they'd have had no problem with talking and, and, you know, absolutely celebrating the people around them. So there's definitely this fear of acceptance. And and actually, as I said, when reading this book, what they were talking about was women's fear is often isolation, um, being left out of not fitting in. So they will do the most they can to fit in. And if fitting in particularly in the UK, is to be self-deprecating, to mock yourself, to 
not celebrate yourself well then that's what people will do and and it's really it's really hard to watch especially when you see people with such great potential or who are doing incredible things it's so hard to watch them say anything negative about themselves i guess this is why i'm so proud of the name fuck being humble is that people take it on and use it as a prompt to other people when they're being too humble. So I've watched people in group situations. I've watched a friend say, oh yeah, no, it went well, but I could have done it this better and blah, blah. And another friend go, no, fuck being humble. Own that success. <laughs> and that, you know, and that's not even me saying it. That's, that's people. I've watched people do that in many rooms. And so I guess what's important for us all is to, if we see this, you know, just encourage people to, embrace that and to not sort of talk themselves down in that moment I think we also need to find ways to model that behavior as well it is learned and I think when you speak to kids when they draw pictures they'll come home and be like I've drawn this picture it's amazing <laughs> it's the best <laughs> drawing in the class and there's there's no fear of what people will say at a young age so it's definitely conditioned as we go through our life and I think that's what I find quite fascinating is at what point does that start to happen and what can we do to intervene so that people do feel proud of celebrating themselves instead of the the worry that people will judge them I love that. That's so true of kids. My son went to a basketball camp in the, his holidays and um, it was like a one week camp. He doesn't really play regularly the rest of the time. You know, he kind of bounced the ball around a bit with us. And the morning of the camp, he said to me, what if I'm better than everyone else there? Because, you know, I have been playing for three <laughs> months now. And I was just like, oh, my God, I applaud your confidence <laughs> that you're going into this place that's clearly going to have some people that play regularly on teams and other things. And you're worried most about whether you're better than everyone there. And I was a bit like, that's just brilliant. I mean, that's going to get beaten out of you in some form or another through your life, sadly. So I'm just supportive of it in the here and now because it's amazing. Yeah, hold on to it Absolutely. as long as possible. But there is something about that, isn't it? And, and obviously, I think, it sounds sweeter when you know a young child says it than <laughs> if, <laughs> I, if I were to say that but I do feel like you know the whole message behind fuck being humble is we've been told that being humble is the only key to success and I'm not sure that served everyone and when I speak to people and, I, and they say oh yeah you know what I, I apologize for doing well in something I said did you feel good doing it and they're like no I'm like so why are you doing it to yourself he's like if anything I felt awkward and I felt a bit embarrassed that I was apologizing and I was like yeah so let's change that thinking and I think we need to be mindful I guess as people supporting of not mocking people when they do have the courage to speak up um, even if it's like low level, you know, taking the mic and it's like, oh, who do you think you are? It has an undertone to it. And I think if people have the courage to step forward to celebrate themselves, even if you wouldn't do that yourself, or even if you would feel uncomfortable by the thought of doing it, you don't need to make other people feel that they shouldn't. Absolutely. One of the things you talk about in your book is a side benefit of trying things out of your comfort zone, that it actually makes you a little bit more memorable. And I know I was at a networking event this week and obviously people always ask what you do. And I run two main businesses and then I've started Board Women on the side of them. And so that's kind of my introduction now. 
And oh my God, people leap on the board women mm. element because it's different. And suddenly I'm the person who does something that's so different from what they're aware of. And all they want to know is more about it. And I really watched your exercise of going to New York recently. And, and I wonder if um, you could tell us some of the things that you did that put yourself out of your own comfort zone, because a couple of them really made me laugh and also admire you in equal measure. Yeah, absolutely. So I was taking Fuck Being Humble to New York for the first time. And I was really excited actually by the concept of how could we get people talking about fuck being humble on a shoestring budget with no team and no marketing to help make that happen. So I'm a one woman show. I don't have anyone um, supporting my business. It's just me doing everything. And with that, I think sometimes it pushes you to be even more creative. So I was speaking at a conference whilst I was in New York, which was the delivery of I guess my service or the value that I bring so I knew that I was showcasing my talent in that way but I was also really keen to do some things that could get people talking and create um, some hype around fuck being humble so one of the things I did was sat in Washington Square Park I took a sign with me that said free career advice and I took two seats I sat on one and I left the other seat open for any stranger to come sit next to me and I would give them free career advice and that was extremely painful for the first 20 (laughs) minutes I actually had a friend of mine who lives in New York to record it and if nothing else I was almost embarrassed that I'd asked her to come record it because nobody was coming <laughs> to sit down and I also sort of said online about how I was like competing with a man who had like 200 pigeons on him and in that moment I also just had to laugh it's like of course I'm trying to offer you know free career advice but the man with 200 pigeons on him has a bigger crowd <laughs> and it was just quite a funny realization and as I sat in that discomfort for 20 minutes when no one turned up I kind of had to go, you know, that internal voice like, this is ridiculous, what are you doing? Get, pick up the chairs, go, no one's going to come. I just had to sit with that discomfort for a while. And then I just kind of came back to like that whole thing of being in the present. And actually in the present moment, I'd been running around New York and I was absolutely knackered. The sun was shining and I was just sitting on a chair. And I kind of was like, what have I got to complain about? Like in reality, like if this doesn't work, cool that's one hour wasted but it's really not the end of the world nobody's going to judge me for it in fact people would still respect me even if no one came and sat down just for the sheer vulnerability of sitting on a chair and hoping people came to speak to you and I think as soon as I kind of sat there and was a bit more relaxed it almost I don't know if it did or it didn't but people came and sat down and then all of a sudden there was a you know flood of people coming to ask me questions about the future and confidence and careers and how do I pivot and all of these great things And actually, I wanted to sit there all day after that. After that first, you know, quarter of an hour being extremely uncomfortable, all of a sudden I was like, oh, I don't even want to leave, but I had to leave, unfortunately. And it just kind of opened my eyes, really, of that whole thing that we've been talking about, of that, like, discomfort is, it's almost a given that you're going to feel that. Um, But it's that whole thing of, like, but the payoff could be extraordinary. And I I love that thinking of discomfort is 
is temporary, but the payoff could be extraordinary. And the other thing I did was, well, we did a couple of things. I handed out postcards, which I've actually never done. I've never flyered my brand. Um, and I also hid copies of my book around New York and hid them in spots. A funny part that I can absolutely tell now, because it's just hilarious, is that I... Uh, put a copy of my book on a seat in the subway and I was like oh hopefully someone will see the book take it and it will just be like this amazing moment and somebody came in and just sat on it (laughs) (laughs) I was like wow it really wasn't meant to be like a seat warmer but that's fine and again sitting with that discomfort of like yeah not everything you try is gonna like work out perfectly but I think that those all of those activities really allowed me to to feel vulnerable and actually the free career advice one my friend filmed it and I put the video on uh, Instagram and it's my most viral piece of content ever it's had 1.5 million views um, and over 100,000 people have liked it and I just think that goes to show of like how easy it is to follow suit and do what everyone else is doing and actually forget the importance of stepping out and being different is the thing that people want to see um I think it's so easy to get our inspiration from the same places and not ever have the point of difference we're trying to create for ourselves and actually when everybody else is sat online giving free career advice I sat in a park and and physically gave it in person and actually that struck a chord with people all over the world so I think it was a really powerful reminder of like not following what other people do and to your point you know the thing that everybody's most interesting is the board women project that you're working on because it's a point of difference and we claim we want to be different but we do everything we can to blend in and I think it's just a really really good reminder to when everybody's going one way, how can you go the other? Absolutely. I showed your video in a workshop I was running the other day, actually, for a really senior group of women on personal brand. And they all loved it. They were like, oh, my God, that must have taken so much guts. And I was like, yeah, you know, respect to you. I saw how many uh, shares you'd had of it at that point and just thought that was a genius move. It was really brilliant. You talk in your book about everyone should have a fuck you song and a celebration song. So just tell me about that. So that's in relation to the chapter on money and negotiating. And it's funny, I actually presented that workshop recently and I did exactly that. I told them to have a fuck you song and a celebration song. So, and this can be applied across all aspects of our lives, to be fair. But after a difficult negotiation, I sulked and wasn't particularly happy following my performance review for about six weeks. And I listened to the song Big Sean, I Don't Fuck With You, where he says repeatedly, I don't give a fuck. And I always (laughs) joke to say, like, ironically, I clearly did. And that song, if I ever hear it now, will take me back to that point. But that song got me through six weeks of feeling really crushed about an outcome that I wasn't expecting. And it's a bit of a joke, but I do think, you know, I mean, there's lots of songs that have got me through life, but they're having that FU song ready was actually really useful to help me get through that time. And then having a celebration song for when things do go right. And I've had many different ones uh, to signify different chapters in my life. Then also that celebration song often takes me back to that happy memory of when that thing happened. So I don't know, I've always loved music and music's always inspired Fuck Being Humble. When I started the brand, 
I was really adamant I didn't want it to sound cheesy and corporate like everyone else. So a lot of the inspiration came from 90s R&B and hip hop. So one of my events was called Let Me Blow Your Mind based on Eve and Gwen Stefani's song. And my money negotiation workshop was called Bitch Better Have My Money. So I think I've always tried to integrate how, you know, cultural references can help us through different times, um, music being one of them. But yeah, the FE song and the celebration song are things that you can do to help you either celebrate a moment or commiserate over something that that didn't quite happen as much as well as you wanted it to. I think I'd add to that with a psych up song. Like when I used yes. to um, go to skateboarding on a Monday night and I have to drive from where I live to, for about 30, 40 minutes to go and it's quite late on a Monday and I'm always unbelievably knackered and not really in the mood but kind of really like right I'm gonna you know psych myself up get over this stop worrying about dropping in for this evening etc and um and I got into the habit of playing Nirvana smells like teen spirit and I don't know whether I don't know whether it brought me back to my teenage years or you know just somehow there was an energy to it that was gritty enough to kind of get me in the right frame of mind to chuck myself over some ramps and do some stuff I wasn't really wholly comfortable with but I do think music is so instrumental to your confidence and to your mood and appetite for giving things a go. Yeah, totally. In fact, when I was in New York, I just watched the David Beckham um, documentary amazing. on Netflix and it was amazing. It was iconic. And I they played Supersonic by Oasis on it. And yeah. for some reason that became my like New York song. And every time I was coming up the lift out of the subway, off the escalator out of the subway, I was listening to Supersonic on the way to like big talks. And it was just that song I replayed on repeat. Um, And I don't know why, because it's like, it's not even the most motivational, but I think sometimes you do need them. And, you know, although I'm not as well versed with board sports, I go spinning quite a lot. And the way that music can shift your mood has such, I mean, almost every time before I'm going spinning, I'm like, I don't want to do this. And then the minute I'm in there and I hear some sort of um, empowering song or inspiring song that makes me feel like I really want to be there it completely transforms the way I feel so yeah I, I think I think music has always helped to get me through different stages of personal and professional struggles but also has has been a great add-on to celebrating moments so just to finish, I'd love to know from your perspective, I know board sports isn't your specialist area, albeit I'm secretly hoping that you become an enthusiastic skater after we've got you to give it a go. I wonder if you have any final tips on any women who are thinking about embarking on one of these sports and perhaps are lacking in the confidence to do it. I think before you even go into it, it's like throw away any preconceptions you've built and have that safety net whether that is, you know, someone that is there to help you whilst you're trying it or someone that you can go to before to get advice or someone you can go to afterwards to support you when you feel like you've not done a good job. I I always believe in the importance of having those cheerleaders and those positive people around. So that was my chat with Stephanie. I really loved our discussion on being present in the moment and enjoying the small as well as the big wins. If you enjoyed this conversation, please like, review and share with your friends. It really helps to get the podcast noticed. We have a big vision for board women and we want you to be part of it. So check out our upcoming events and how you can get involved at Board Women on Instagram 
and boardwomen.co. I'll be back in a couple of weeks when I'll be talking to Jane Faulkner-White at SkateJaneFW on Instagram. She's a freestyle skater who started in her 40s and she's even taken part in global competitions. Music.